Hi, I'm Jay Thomas, and welcome to Bald Tires. Today's guest and I have so much to talk about, we actually had to split this into two shows. Brad Marshall joins me to talk about his amazing career with the Saskatoon Police Service, and what that means when it comes to driving a police car. Some incredible stories there. Brad was actually a race car driver himself, and he's going to take us through all of his experiences on the track, and even the best moment he had out there. Next show, you're going to hear about an incredible 59 Cadillac Series 62, and Brad's amazing 71 Oldsmobile 442. W30, he's got in his garage right here next to us. Sit back, lots of amazing stories are coming your way. This is Bald Tires, because when you make great memories, you make bald tires. Well, I find myself in another amazing garage. I got a habit of doing this. <laughs> Welcome uh, to Bald Tires. I'm Jay, and of course, I've got my friend Brad Marshall with me. Brad, thanks for joining Hello, me. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> to my right, three amazing Harleys, and to my left, a 71 Olds 442 W30. And we're going to get into that car in a little bit, too. And a really sweet garage that we're in with all kinds of Harley stuff on the walls, and there's Rough Rider stuff on that end, and car stuff over here. This is a sweet garage, Brad. It's uh, pretty cool. Uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to buy this house, uh, and it was already had a lot of the man man cave stuff already in it, um, and it was uh, a great opportunity to buy it. And uh, the neighbors actually were wondering what type of person would buy this house. <laughs> and uh, it, when we moved in, we got a great reception from the neighbors and. Uh, and we've never heard any complaints about the cars or the bikes or anything. They knew what they were getting. That's awesome. Okay, so Brad and I met, uh, I want to say, you know, we're part of the same sh uh, Shifters Car Club in Saskatoon. Yep, absolutely. And kind of through that, we kind of got to know each other and uh, had some similar interests. In fact, probably my first memory was uh, a car we'll talk about in more depth in a little bit, but uh, you used to have a 59 Cadillac. Yeah. Which is one of my ultimate fa favorite all-time cars. Because we met at the Warman... Home Center Car Show. Yeah. That's right. And uh, I was just admiring it so much, and you let me take it for a drive, which was incredible. So oh, Absolutely. Like, when you, when you come across people that you can recognize the passion. Yeah. And uh, you're a big car guy. Well, yeah. And uh, the, the 59 uh, was a great vehicle. And uh, it was great to be able to um, make a little dream happen well, for you. And it was kind of a bucket list thing, you know, honestly, for me, like to drive one of those, I've, I've always had a, the model car at home as a kid and posters on the wall of that car. And, you know, I've always wanted to drive one. So thank you again from oh, five years welcome. ago. <laughs> you're welcome. But uh, so that's how we met. But, you know... You're a big car guy too. And why don't we rewind and let's go back to what made you in, into a car guy. What do you, what, what's the story? Well, um, I'm an only son of an only son of an only son. Okay. Uh, I got three older sisters um, and dad and I, uh, we went to the races. We went to the old 8th Street Oval, which I believe was run by the Kinsmen and Kinettes. Uh, back in the day, guys like Al Bakke mm -hmm. uh, racing around there. And, of course, Al was everybody's favorite. And uh, he ran number 80. And he was sponsored by the Golden Dragon Restaurant. And my dad <laughs> sold meat for a living. And the Golden Dragon was one of his uh, customers. So through that, I got a pretty good connection with Al Bakke. Uh, so much so, and we'll talk about this later, that when I did go into stock car racing, I asked him if I could run his number. Oh, cool. But, um, so dad would 
take me to the races. Uh, the girls and my mom weren't really interested in it. Um, <laughs> but when he was working on cars, he, he would do what he could on his own. So changing tires, you know, at that time, you'd have the big old winter grips that would mm-hmm. go onto the back of the big Chrysler. He was a, Chry- a, a Chrysler guy. Okay. And, uh, and, but as soon as I was old enough to be able to recognize and, and hand him the correct wrench or whatever it was that he wanted, uh, I was under the car with him, changing oil, you know, checking things out, changing fan belts, changing tires, you know, pretty rudimentary stuff, but that was a really great thing to have happen. You know, I, I feel kind of bad in a sort of way for today's kids because most modern cars, you can't do a lot of work on them. No. You know, there are some things you can do, like swap the winter tires, for example. Yep. But, you know, there's some, you know, small stuff, change the spark plugs, maybe, you know, yep. maybe. Sometimes it's too complicated for that even. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and, and I think people probably of your dad's generation we're, we're of that generation that you you really never took your car to a dealership or you were almost ashamed to. It, it was the corner gas station that was like a block <laughs> and a half or two blocks away. Okay, yeah. Right? And uh, that's where you went. That was your trusted auto service expert. But I think like a, a lot of guys in that generation, they took pride in doing it themselves. Yeah. They were almost a little embarrassed to have to take it to a mechanic because they maybe, yeah. maybe it was beyond their scope. And that's, you know, certainly a thing for everybody at some point. But... That was, you know, that, that generation of, of guys and gals it was working on your own car. And I think that inspired a lot of people like, you know, you, me. But I, I hope kids these days get a chance sometimes to do yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. And my dad was a traveling salesman. So he was in a car for 80% of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and if something happened on the road, you're on the highway. You got to deal with it. Yeah. And uh, company cars weren't all that uh, uh, luxurious. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he had a single car that had air conditioning in it or anything like that. <laughs> um, and, you know, he was five days on the road and two days at home. But yeah. anyways, uh, he he was, uh, and he was a farm boy when he grew up. Mm-hmm. But he came to the city and, uh, and started working. Yep. So you were with your dad all the time, kind of like I was. And, and yeah. I grew up in a family where we had some older cars and we did some of the work ourselves just because, you know, that was the budget conscious thing to do. You wanted to, you know, yeah. keep it going. And, and I, even for my, for my age, I got to work on some older stuff with, you know, manual chokes and, uh, yep. so, you know, s- similar kind of things, but where to go from there? When, after my dad passed away, it was 16 years old. Oh, so boy. it really had... Uh, first opportunity to get my own vehicle. Um, my mom had to go back working. Um, dad had been sick for about three years uh, before he passed away. But um, I knew I wanted to have my own transportation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was able to find a little Mercury Capri. I believe it was a 70 or 71 Mercury Capri, uh, 2,600 CC V6 in it. Oh. Nice little sporty thing, red, black vinyl top. That's awesome. Uh, standard transmission. For anybody who's not familiar, that is not the Mercury equivalent of the Mustang. No. This is the European Ford Capri. That they imported. Exactly. And uh, yeah, it was a, 
It was a fun car. Oh, I my I have an uncle who still has one. Oh, gee. I used to ride around in it when I was a kid. It's it needs some work right now. We're hoping to yep. get it back on the road here soon. But I have super fond memories yep. of of riding around in that car and the sweet sound of the engine. And it was just so kind of oh, raw yeah. and and it really it was, was a little sports car. It was, and uh, the the handling on them is tremendous. But uh, that was my first engine rebuild. Um, <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, you know, you get a car and you drive around the neighborhood, and a buddy of mine from high school, he's like, "Oh wow, nice car, lay rubber." <laughs> I don't know. I haven't had it long enough to find out. So I rev her up, drop the clutch, and I hear a zing. <laughs> well, those things had a Teflon timing gear in them. <laughs> oh, that's and what it was. Just shredded that thing and uh, uh, took the timing cover off and there's no teeth and reach down into you know take the oil pan off reach down you just come up with gravel oh no the teflon timing gear just shattered and so okay uh help of a neighbor uh to help me take the thing apart and we got a gasket set and cleaned everything up and i don't remember overhead cam engine no this one wasn't there's still push rod that that's was push rod okay yeah so, yeah, so didn't have to worry about the interference stuff. Okay, that was my question. Yeah, because yeah. you can blow things up pretty quick yeah. nowadays. Yeah, it was just it was just cleaning up the mess, and and uh, and fortunately, they were making full metal uh, timing gears. Oh, really? Yeah, now and so that's what we put into it, and didn't want to have that problem again. But yeah, it was a big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first car. Yep, you got it back together. How yep. long did you have it for? Um. A- about three years yeah and uh, enjoyed it um, then I uh, got rid of it and my sister and brother-in-law were selling they had a 73 MGB oh well, cool great to go to a convertible yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, it was always a great little car and surprisingly good in the winter time uh, and uh, you know but lots of maintenance to keep it up uh, those uh, Weber carburetors yep uh, I've heard that really work on those and uh and a a british car so a little different than everything else right not the greatest heater but (laughs) (laughs) yeah but they you know it it got me around um and then um after i got going on my career with the police department i uh, i was due to go to college and i knew i needed a better vehicle for traveling on the highways yeah yeah and i bought a uh 75 Dodge Aspen. Okay. Yep. From, sure. From uh, a dealership in, on the use lot. And uh, uh, those things had the all electronic ignition. They were just starting with, and it was garbage. And uh, <laughs> I, had, I had to have that changed out. And uh, a guy down in Regina helped me with that. Um, then after that, uh, I decided after finishing police college and, you know, now I've got a career. Yeah. Um, I can afford to buy a car. I bought my one and only brand new vehicle uh, from SMP. Okay. Um, 1982 Camaro Z28. So that was the first year where they went to that wedge mm-hmm. style. Uh, they really worked on drag coefficients and stuff. Um, I went in and uh, rolled it right off of the showroom floor. Really? Got the most loaded up one I could. Um, Did they have... T roofs. This point? one didn't. Nope. Okay. Nope. And uh, the uh, the I remember the the final sale price tax in fourteen thousand six hundred and eighty dollars. You know that's pretty big money for it them. It was. 
you know, 1982. You could buy a lot of cars for five or $6,000 still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and certainly decent cars for yeah. in the eights or tens. Oh, so. yeah. Like a, an 81 Z28 uh, on the lot there. I was waffling between the 81 and the 82. Okay. Um, and the... Uh, Sometimes I think I should have gone with the 81 because those had the 350. Okay. The 82 had the 305. Uh-huh. But um, it was $10,000 uh-huh. for the 81. Mm-hmm. And you're going, hmm. And then you go, ah, I want new. i got to have one new yeah. car in my life. Yeah. So I had that car for 14 years. Really? Yeah. What color? Uh, it was called Dark Metallic Goldwing. It's kind of a metallic brown. Okay, yeah. And then it had the three-tone gold striping on the very bottom through the Z28 badging and everything. Sweet. And a, a gold uh, velour-type interior. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, wasn't wasn't wealthy enough to go for any leather. They didn't, they didn't have any. I don't think they even had leather at that point. Yeah, no. they may not have, but it was... Uh, uh, that wasn't uh, something I was going for. And, you know, that car was fantastic. And we put a lot of miles on it and Tracy had it, uh, after, uh, uh, after we were married, she drove it for a couple of years. Yeah. And, and again, another car that did surprisingly well in the winter. Really? Yeah. We'd put, uh, we'd put, uh, winter tires and wheels on it. And, uh, these have gone away now. Goodyear doesn't make them anymore, but the F32s. Okay was basically called the ice radio and the the commercials used to be of a hockey player skating around a hockey rink and a car chasing him (laughs) with the f32s yeah okay and these tires they were phenomenal really yeah and uh, i'm they may be using the same technology just calling it something different oh could be ultra grip or something like that but it was they were called the f32s and they were excellent and uh but yeah that was a fun car but uh, you know we we started have family um, needed another vehicle. Then started getting into like uh, bought a big, a full size K five Jimmy. Oh yeah, uh, GMC Jimmy. So and BGVs, b- boring grown up vehicles yeah. for a little while. Yeah, yep. that that happens Absolutely. when you're when your parents. Sure, but not not too long because uh, uh, when our first daughter was born, nineteen ninety. Mm-hmm. That's the year I decided uh, got to get a stock car. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, that's good. My great. wife was thrilled. <laughs> that's great. Okay, first thing I got to ask you: that Camaro. Yep. Did the dash crack? Yes. Because I think they all did. Yep. And um, I went in, and I, I won't say raise hell, but I was determined. You guys are going to replace this dash under warranty. Still, because... oh, it cracked still under warranty. Yep. They cracked that quick. I didn't even yep. realize it was that quick. Oh yeah. But yeah. like, because you're talking three or four years kind of thing. And nope, this uh, this was like, it was still under factory warranty. Huh. And I screamed a bit and <laughs> and they went, okay. But then they said, from now on, you need to put a, like an interior warmer in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't get down and, and to the point where it, it'll crack again. But there was a, a noticeable difference in the design and the texture Oh. of the dash on the second one. So I think they possibly tweaked the formula for the the vinyl uh, a little bit. I, I, I only know about this car well because uh, in a previous life, I was in radio, and uh, one of my first jobs was up in Prince Albert. 
Right. And the rock station there used to be called Nick's 101. Yeah. And they had, uh, basically, they'd every summer do up a, a car or a truck and big contest and give it away. And the point was they would take the car and kind of go to different shops throughout the city. And every different shop would do a little bit of work on the car. There was an engine mm-hmm. shop that did that, transmission, body shop, all that stuff. Collaborative custom. Exactly. Collaborative custom is really what it was. And then there was a big contest at the end. And it was kind of, you know, you call in, you win yourself a key, and then we show up in the mall at the end of summer. Yep. And we'll see which car, which key starts the car. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those. It was like, I think it may, might have been an 84 Camaro, but I mean, still the yeah. same body and everything like Absolutely, that. Absolutely, like yeah. My God. I mean, like, yeah, we, we bailed a guy out of jail to get that car <laughs> and then it showed up and it had no interior. It was, it was oh. quite, quite the story with that car. But yeah. I just remember we replaced the dash and replaced pff, most of the interior yep. because it was just chewed to hell and sun faded and ruined and all that stuff. The car turned out really cool at the end, but uh, yeah, big flat piece of plastic on the dashboard and they all just, that was G that was GM plastic though for those days. That was the way it was built, right? Kind of, there was no, can you imagine the people in Arizona? Oh, you know, like what they would have gone through. Absolutely. It probably turned to powder Think, in front of them. Well, I was going to say possibly melted and dripping <laughs> off the edges that tipped down. <laughs> I want to rewind for a second yep. and ask you a bit about when you became a police officer. Yeah. Because um, I think, you know, we all have this, uh, I think we all have this image of uh, police academy in our head. Yeah. You know, and that's probably sort of the same vintage or kind of close anyways. So... When you became a police officer, how much how much learning for driving? Let's just talk about that part. Yeah. How much training was there with that, or what, what what was the specialty training? Well, when um, when I first got hired, and one of the things you have to do is uh, it used to be you had to have a class four license. Yeah. Okay. Which is so a taxi set? driver, limousine. Yeah. Yeah. That type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I get a call to said you know. We've made arrangements for you to do your class four test, come down and we'll get you over to SGI. Okay. So I go down there and they tell me to go to the traffic section and uh, the inspector there throws me a set of keys and goes, that blue one there, it was an unmarked uh, LTD, I think it was. (laughs) Okay. uh, 78 LTD. And, And he goes... Make sure you damn well stop at those stop signs and make sure you damn well slow down at the railway crossings because we don't want you to fail, right? And then he turned around and walked away. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And so they had given me the time for SGI. I Mm -hmm. drove over there. Instructor meets me. And he goes, so show me how the emergency equipment works. I don't know. I've gotten the car 10 minutes ago. <laughs> so we sat there for 10 or 15 minutes playing with the switches, seeing what worked and what didn't. Everything worked. And uh, and he quizzed me about, well, if you were going out on a patrol, what what kind of things would you check on your car if you did a walk around? And so I told him, you know, signal lights, headlights, all the usual equipment, yep. the emergency equipment and windshield wipers, everything, right? And, uh, and he goes, would you check your trunk? And I went, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like, I'm not a cop yet. I'm just getting ready to be one. <laughs> so, um, and then he said, okay, go. Let's go for a drive. 
And he sat back, kind of folded his clipboard away, yeah. and just sat there with his arms crossed. We went driving for about 15 minutes, went back. He said, good enough. See you later. Here's, you pass. Really? Yeah. And uh, so that was, that was the first step. Um, and then when it came to on the department, there really wasn't much. Um, there was an RCMP course. Okay. And I did get to go, but it was my second year on the job before I got to go on that course. Really? So a lot of it was initially working with your uh, training partner mm-hmm. or after your training, working with your partner about, um, you know, driving techniques, uh, you know, and if you had, if you wanted to learn something, um, and also there was your, if you had a senior partner, the question was usually, do you want to drive second half or all night? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you usually tried to split the night up, but a lot of times you're, you're, you're with guys who, uh, who want to be driving. There's okay. some guys that just for them, it was, it was a hassle to drive. Yeah. They felt, um, I enjoyed, um, be it pursuit driving or emergency driving, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believed that I had a, a good technique. Um, I, I always believed in, um, you know, giving the traffic the opportunity to get out of your way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas some guys are, they're going too fast to do that. Oh yeah. Okay. And I would also, uh, I would call it pushing the opposite lane where I would, I would straddle the center line. Okay. So that oncoming. Could. You had a better chance of getting oncoming to move to the right. Yes. Than you did on vehicles you were coming up on. Well, especially and, when you're getting up to stoplights yeah, and things like that. Exactly. And and it it indicates to that person that you're coming up upon. If they start seeing vehicles coming towards them, pulling over to the right, they start going, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And then maybe they realize what's coming up behind them. Um, and... And again, you're you're already edged to the left, so at intersections you can get around. Um, but eventually, the police department did develop its own training course, and uh, sent guys away for for training, um, and very good instruction. And there have been various locations uh, throughout the city. I believe they use the exhibition grounds right now. Well, they do, and I I can say that because uh, not probably you can hear them. You can hear them. <laughs> But about three years ago, when I was uh, still working for the media, I got a chance. They had a kind of a media day at their training right. grounds, and they had a media day to. They were emphasizing distracted driving yep. was their big thing, and so uh, Tyler McMurchie from SGI was there, and uh, all kinds of officers and everything like that, and sort of each of the media people kind of got a chance to go into a police car, drive it around yep. the course. And the idea was to prove um, that, you know, how, dist- it, how what would it's happen. It's not all that easy. It's not all that easy. Yeah. Except they didn't use mine because um, Tyler was like, well, that, that didn't turn out the way we wanted it to because, <laughs> because I did pretty good. <laughs> well, no, and that's, that's just showing you've got a driver's attitude. It was a aw- lot of times. Yeah. And it was awesome because the police officer I was with, and I, I wish I could remember his name. Uh, he was more of a senior officer, you know, uh, but he's like, come on, my grandma drives faster than this. He was egging me on. Yep. So, and, and meanwhile, you know, Tyler's handing me, you know, put on some chapstick or eat this donut <laughs> or text your mom, you know, things like that. Yep. 
And uh, you know what? I didn't hit one cone, and we had yeah. uh, we had the tires squealing around that track. It was so oh, yeah. much fun. And and the way the tracks are set up, they're usually a diminishing radius corner, mm-hmm. so it puts more strain on the car because you have to continually tighten up your turn. I noticed that, and uh, that way they can put higher G loads through your body. Mm-hmm without really increasing the speed. Mm-hmm. But the car and you experience more of that G-load because yep. of that tightening radius. And then the diminishing alleys. And then there's the decision maker. And, and uh, you know, a lot of times it's it's about where you can make up time mm. and where you can lose time. And what, you know, it's different than being on a racetrack. Well, it's, I was... not, it's not racing it's it's driving to be somewhere you know as quick as possible yeah and get there alive because it doesn't do anybody any good if you get in an accident right you actually have training then in a specific kind of driving that nobody else really gets to experience because there's people who become race car drivers that's different driving there's the rest of us public schmoes who you know are expected to drive a certain way on the roads And then you got to be trained in a bit of a different way, which is kind of unique, actually. It is. It's um, it's an aggressive, but it's got to be. You got to be able to be passive as well. Mm-hmm. You can't let your emotions overtake you to drive the car. And you can. You can get very emotional. Oh yeah. And you're seeing someone that you're trying to stop who is doing something that you believe is hazardous enough that you're going to chase them down. Right. Now, policies have changed quite a bit. There's a lot of protocol uh, that, you know, was in place when I uh, finished up with the police department to have an, an independent person monitoring that can say, this is getting too crazy, shut it down. Okay, gotcha. That person can't be involved in the chase, but they're, they have to be on the street. So the communication center will designate somebody because mm-hmm. the communication center, that's a totally different environment again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they, they still have other calls going on. You may have a, a high speed chase going on that, um, but there's other things going on. There's break and enters going on. Yeah. There's, there's drunk drivers. There's this, that, the other thing. Yeah. Uh, they still got a lot of stuff to do. So they can't properly monitor and evaluate the hazard and and also the attitude like is that member is that police officer losing their perspective ah okay right because i said it's it can become very emotional especially if uh your your life has been put in danger mm-hmm. by something mm-hmm. uh that that other driver has done Mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. they came towards you. Maybe they, you know, right from the word go, it was a... Right, right. right. Any number of instances. Yeah. Because so often you get guys joyriding, you get, even if it is a stolen vehicle, it's just a stolen vehicle. Yeah, it may be somebody's baby. I'd be heartbroken if somebody stole the, the 442. Right. But it's just a car. Yes. And it's insured. Yep. And I think the the insurance company be the one crying. <laughs> <laughs> no, no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. But, uh, when they went to pay me out on that. But anyways, it's, you know, and especially you get these guys with motorcycles 
And let's face it, the motorcycles can really outrun a car easily. Oh, totally. And But some of these guys, the experience they have in riding is so limited. And it's sometimes better just to back off. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you've been able to find the license plate, we'll chase it down later. Uh, maybe somebody will see it parked at a bar later and we'll just go put a hook on it. Right. So instead of, instead of having the guy end up flipping it over yep. and killing himself because yep. he's running away, or instead of having somebody you know in a, in a vehicle going down, let's say, 8th Street at 150 kilometers an hour, killing somebody in an intersection. Yep. Well, and it's bad PR, police cars hitting innocent parties, be it a car or a truck or... Right, yeah. God forget yep. a, a, a pedestrian. Never mind, yeah. The, because the, they are involved in trying to catch somebody who is involved in whatever criminal activity. Um, that there's no way to win that in the, in the public eye. I get the feeling that the way say maybe now I, I know, you know, we don't know for sure, but I, I would say the way that maybe Canadian police officers handle stuff like this may be different than what you see in cops, you know, on TV, especially, yeah. you know, years gone by the, the high speed pursuit with the helicopter over top. Like it's, it's done a little yeah. differently here. It right. Is. Is. Have you ever had to do like the pit maneuver though? No, no. Um, I knew how to do the pit maneuver, but it was actually a uh, something that the Saskatoon Police Department did not endorse. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a time when they did allow it and the turnouts weren't that great. <laughs> um, and again, if you're that close to the vehicle, you can see the license plate. You can most likely ID the driver. Yes. Um you know, is there a different way? The uh, stop sticks, oh yeah, are an excellent, an excellent device, mm-hmm. and I would, I would love to see them use that more. Um, but now you're getting into run flat tires. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of the cars are coming from the factory run flat tires. Yeah, so um, blow them out doesn't matter. I right? saw an article there a couple of years. They figured there'll be cars being sold that have the no air tires. Have you seen those? Yes, I have. So you know, those stop sticks will become obsolete mm-hmm. uh, for the majority of, uh, of cars eventually. Yeah. But uh, they are an excellent tool in the, when they're used properly. Um, I, I was a big proponent of not roadblocks, but like a, a chicane type of blocking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where the, you still want to offer an escape route, but if you can make the guy feel like, Oh, this I'm boxed in. Yeah. You know, maybe you make him think and he, he slows down for a while, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But, um, but those are tough to set up mm-hmm. and you, you need the right area. So there's a lot of different tools you have to have and you got to pick the right tool at the right time. Right. Um, you know, I've, I've told people it's, it's like juggling and, and you, Oh, I need this ball right now. And, uh, and you have to switch and, you know, get into whatever mode to accomplish what you need to accomplish mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. Were you ever part of the traffic division? I was. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I worked for three years as a uh, accident investigator. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so in the traffic division, there was violator enforcement, which are the guys that work in the unmarked vehicles. Yep. And their primary purpose is to write tickets. Let's see. There's a black Dodge Ram. Yep. I think they've got a couple of them right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was talking to one of the staff sergeants. And I think they they were looking at a couple of different colors. Um, uh, back in my day, 
they had a 1979 Camaro Z28. Oh, really? Black. And there'll possibly be some people that listen to this that remember this vehicle. And it had orange and yellow striping down the, about three quarters down on the door. Cool. And the guys that would work in it didn't wear uniform. Nope. They're in plain clothes. And they'd basically drive up and down 8th Street and, you know, sit at the light and maybe say a few things and somebody beside them would <laughs> say, okay, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then all of a sudden the little, uh, red bubble goes up on the dash and they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, never worked that car. Uh, uh but no, I worked an accident car. Um, when we weren't taking accidents, uh, we would do radar. But again, I, I had a, you know, being trained on radar and i i always believed i i'm i'm going to write good tickets i'm not going to write cheap chintzy tickets <laughs> uh and you know when uh, i I'd, I'd set up on circle drive somewhere and i wouldn't write anything under 20k over really oh yeah it, you, you were busy enough at 20k over yeah yeah um and i figured that's you know, nice enough. That's nice enough. Yeah. And, uh, and, and even then, like, that's where you're pulling people over. Right. Mm -hmm. And my belief was if I can gain compliance Mm -hmm. from a person, Mm -hmm. if I can get them to understand whatever the stop was about, that you need to change this. Yeah. Um, and then there's times when, boom, as soon as you decide to go after the person, they're getting a ticket. Mm-hmm. So it it depends on your view and your assessment of that situation right at the time. But one of the things I would always do is I didn't just sit with the radar out. Yeah. I would sit and I would watch the traffic. And if I saw somebody that I thought was traveling faster than the speed limit, uh-huh. then I would confirm that. With the radar unit. Ah, okay. Interesting. So um, that was my preferred way of doing it. I know there were guys that would sit and run radar and they would wait for the uh, the alarm to go off. Yep. The buzzer to go off and, and they would look and, oh, yeah, 75 and a 50 zone and pull the guy over. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of being able, to, if I did go into court, I can I can say I saw this car and it was visibly moving fast and i confirmed that with the radar yeah so that's the way i like to do things well i know there's no there's no um official rule you're never going to get a statement from from anybody about any of this sort of stuff but i did talk to another officer a few years ago he was doing radar on second avenue downtown kind of where first turns into second yep um over there and uh people kind of come around the corner and the road widens up it gets mm-hmm. really narrow and then it kind of widens up on a second Avenue and you know, everybody kind of yep. goes for it. And I just politely asked him, so like, do you write them right at 51 or, you know, or is it, did you have a, a, a gray window, a gray yep. zone? He said, you know what? I gave him about 10%. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of guys, that's kind of where they're at. So in your 50, 55, if you're doing 56, 57, I'm probably going to be pulling you over. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I kind of think, you know, that's probably a good way to drive. (laughs) It's just to respect the 10%. You know, at the very minimum, I would go 15K. 
Really? And again, you could you can write all day. Yeah. And but but that was the way you were you were as an officer. Yeah, and you have to you have to choose as an officer mm-hmm. what what do I want to represent? What do I and I'm not saying that the other guys weren't representing the Saskatoon Police Service or representing their community properly. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I want to be able to go into court and say, this is my opinion and this is why, and this is why I wrote the ticket. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go in and say the machine buzzed and I looked and it said it was 75 and I looked and a car went past me. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So it sounds totally different. Yeah. It may be the same result in the end with a ticket. It may still result in a conviction. But my personal satisfaction um, of doing the job, and I can, I tell people, I believe that for almost 27 years, I did it right. That's good. That's cool. I'm sure there were people out there who would disagree with me that may have had personal dealings with me. But, you know, um, I had a very strong success rate in court. I won't call it conviction rate because I was just as happy if somebody went into court and they were able to present an argument that beat the charge. Mm -hmm. And I would normally go over and congratulate them. It wasn't really, yeah, it wasn't adversarial for me. That's cool. And if you're making it personal, then I don't think you're doing it right. (laughs) Because that's not what the public has hired you for. Yeah. They're not out there for you to, to push your own agenda. Yeah. Uh, the, the accident scene reconstruction stuff must've been really fascinating. It was really good because we really didn't have a lot of training in it. So you, um, you would work with senior members and you would go on courses and pick things up. And I was, I was very fortunate where I was given a lot of opportunity and I, I went to some very serious accidents. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and unfortunately, where people died. Yes, yeah. And those are very intense uh, investigations. Yep. Because you've got families who want to know what happened. You've got uh, the community, the public need to know what transpired. And there's SGI the city of Saskatoon, there's, there's oh, so even, many things. Even traffic control, because yep. a lot of times when it's that kind of accident, yep. the road is closed. Yep. Right? Oh, it is. And, um, you know, there's, uh, we call it doing point duty. If okay. you are put somewhere to control pedestrian or vehicle traffic, uh, it's considered point duty. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been on point duties where you get people who drive up and they go, I have to go down that way. And you go, no, you can't. There's an accident. Well, no, that's the way I have to go. You have to let me through. There is no <laughs> way you're getting through there. Well, what happened? <gasps> it's a bad accident. And, and you know, they get upset with you because you have blocked their road. Mm-hmm. I know. And I, I, you know, people refer to cops as pigs. Um, we're not pigs. We're sheepdogs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard this story. Um, but, um, sheep don't like sheepdogs. Right. The public are the sheep. Yep. And they will complain about the sheepdog, nipping them at the heels, Mm -hmm. trying to keep them in line, keep them from jumping the fences. But you have a wolf come around, 
they're screaming for, for the, the sheep sheep dog. Oh, right. <laughs> that makes sense. That's a, that's a good analogy. Yeah, it really is. And it, it, it puts in a little more perspective where you're, you're the good guy, but you can be the bad guy too. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen people at their worst. Yeah, I bet. Hey, and I've, uh, you know, and for some, some people, sometimes that worst day, uh, is when you're giving them a ticket. Yep. Or maybe that worst day is when you're showing up to tell them that their daughter has died on the mm-hmm. highway. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then sometimes they're great days. Yeah. Um, where you've, you know, been involved in a couple of rescues. You know, it's pretty, pretty cool thing to save yeah. somebody's life. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. High, high highs and low lows, I bet though, right? With, yeah. that, with that kind of a job. Yeah, it can be. Right. You know, um, and there's days when you just want to go home and hug your kids. Yeah. Uh, because you just, it was so bad. You re- you retired from the police force. Yeah. Yep. When? Uh, 2008, I was okay. t- on my 47th birthday. On your 47th birthday? Yeah. Yeah, 26 years, eight months. Wow. Is what I put in. And uh, it was a phenomenal career. And I've never looked back because I had a, I had a great opportunity. I, uh, a friend of mine, Nick and Kathy Allen, uh, they uh, were owners of the Harley dealership. And I'd been working part-time for them. Okay. And uh, they had offered me a full-time position and kind of got to the point, um, working, you know, 20, 30 hours at the dealership and then doing 48 hours a week on the police department (laughs) was getting to be a bit much. And and I, and I said, I got to make a decision and, and with getting, uh, as many years as I had on, I was in a good position with my pension. Oh yeah. Okay. And it was, my lifestyle would actually improve mm-hmm. no more night shifts um oh, less stress no m- way less stress yeah and uh you know less uh you know i'd had some bad injuries on the police department mm-hmm. uh from a couple of car accidents oh, okay right? yep and but not while i was driving i never <laughs> well, 20 <laughs> 26 plus years and i never had an at-fault accident on the police department wow yeah that's amazing. Yeah. And in my life, I've only had one and it was a parking lot thing where there was no damage to my vehicle and a trailer <laughs> hitch went, uh, went into the plastic bumper of a car behind me. <laughs> but, and that Tracy never lets me forget that, <laughs> but, uh, but no. And, uh, um, it's great career. And for any young person who is considering it, uh, extremely rewarding. Um, extremely demanding, even more so now than when I started. Mm-hmm. Like when I started, we didn't even have body armor. Yeah, um, right. On your belt, you carried, you know, you you were issued your Smith and Weston, uh, Weston six six shooter. Say that five times, and uh, <laughs> you had twelve extra bullets, and you had a flashlight. There was no nightstick, no baton. Oh, really? If you were lucky, you got a radio. Uh, there was still one call box on 20th street. Really? Yep. Um, you know, the uh, 1981 Yeah. And, and you know, the radio community radios were about the size of well, bigger than a brick. They were heavy and, and mostly stayed in the car. Yep. I imagine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
In fact, and it's probably CB that you guys were using in the car at that point, they, too. They were just getting into UHF. Okay. But they they drained power like crazy. The batteries, you had to carry two batteries with you. Uh, you were lucky if they lasted an eight-hour shift. <laughs> and, uh, um, but, yeah, and, and you know, you had your, your, uh, your notebook, and we had... You'd go out and do your work, and like I said, no body armor or anything. So it really was like the movie. <laughs> it was <laughs> police it was academy. Basic. It was pretty basic yeah. stuff. Yeah, and uh, you know some of you know some of the older guys who'd been on you know when I started, that some of them had already been on thirty, some closing in thirty-five, maybe forty years. Mm-hmm. Well, these guys, they're like. I want to see your hair cut. I want to see your shoes shined and all that stuff. And, <laughs> but great guys, great guys. Um, I've there. I miss so many of those guys yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah. Great partners, uh, great work experiences, and um, well, I'll tell you something that you, you possibly would be a little shocked at. My first year on the job, I. Uh, was involved in a shootout up at the Canorama Shopping Center. Oh, wow. Yep. Uh, a guy by the name of uh, Harvey Andres. Okay. And he was a badass biker uh, out of uh, Alberta. Yeah. Had escaped from prison. Oh, boy. And uh, he came to Saskatoon, and uh, he did a home invasion here. And a neighbor saw it. And uh, there was... Uh, uh, police car dispatched and mm-hmm. a sergeant. And at that time they had summer special constables. These guys were law students from the university and, uh, they would ride around with a senior member hmm. just as a summer job and, uh, very minimal training. So they weren't issued guns or anything like that, but okay. they had a full uniform on. And, uh, so any bad guys didn't, they don't, they're not looking to see if you got a gun, you got a uniform on your, yeah, you're a cop. Yep. And so, uh, they go up to the door, bang on the door, and uh, all of a sudden there's a shot rings out, and uh, they dive off the steps, and uh, the sergeant runs back to the patrol car, and the uh, summer special, he uh, runs around the side of the house and goes to the backyard area, and I think he was attempting to get under the deck, hide under the deck or around that area. Yeah. And uh, by that time, uh, the bad guy is running to the back of the house and fires a shot through the uh, uh, patio door. Yeah. And hits that member, that Stuttner student in the uh, upper arm area. Oh, boy. And uh, he drops to the ground and this guy takes off. Well, my partner and I, we were involved in uh, uh, doing prisoner transport at that time. So we had a load of guys in the back of the car and we uh, we hear about this shooting starting and we're basically where you're talking about the the uh, the guy running radar, Second uh, Avenue coming up to the Diamond yeah. intersection. Yeah. So we scooted up there and uh, the, the guy driving, I won't use his name, but he was a great guy, very funny. He had a little bit of a stutter. Okay. And uh, we're going through the Diamond intersection. We're driving a like a 78 Dodge one ton 13 passenger van <laughs> right so there's him and me in the front 11 guys in the back from all the arrests overnight that were taking up to the correctional okay and as we hit the railroad tracks and you know how many sets of railroad tracks uh-huh. there are at the diamond intersection yeah and it kind of dog legs to the right yep 
as we hit each set of railroad tracks, the van jumps over about half a lane to the left. <laughs> so he's got it right to the floor. <laughs> oh, he's got his foot in the carburetor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it keeps bouncing over. And he's trying to steer this thing to get the dog leg to go up Warman Road. And he thinks we're not going to make it. And out of his mouth comes, look out, Newt, we're going for the rhubarb. <laughs> <laughs> now high, high stress situation the lights and siren are on and but that sticks in my mind from driving up there and i'm just killing myself laughing oh my god and we get there and we parked uh i think it's a fresh go now but it used to be an okay economy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so a cinnaboyan drive and we heard at that time that this guy the bad guy had jumped a fence and was running in the back door of the dry cleaner okay. at the Canorama Mall. Yeah. So um, we stopped the van on the north side on Assiniboine Drive on the north side of the grocery store. Get out. I pull my gun out and I look at the guys in the back and I go, don't even think about trying to get out. And they're like, no way, man. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we hit the power locks and we go out. So... Um, I go down the wall and my partner goes out into the parking lot. Yep. We're the only two uniforms. This guy, I get down to about where, uh, the, there is post office boxes, uh, the shoppers or pinders at that time, I think it was drugstore. Yeah. was a lot smaller. And, um, I get to about where the post office box, Dropbox is, mm-hmm. and this guy comes out and he matches Boy. the description, but I don't see a gun. But he sees me, and I kind of do what's called a, a barricade position, kind of on one knee around the corner of the mailbox. Okay. Um, and he reaches up, pulls his sweater up, and pulls out this big gun. And uh, we found out later it was uh, 45 single oh. action. Boy. Yeah. Uh, old Western type gun. And, uh, and so I'm yelling at him and he's just, he's bringing it towards me. And I saw out of the corner of my eye, one of our unmarked cars drive by. Okay. And that member from a seated position in his car with a snub nose revolver, like a two inch barrel revolver, empties his gun into this guy. Oh. And I watched this guy dance around as he's getting shot. And he's still got the gun in his hand. And I'm like, okay. So in this thing, I didn't get a, I didn't get a shot off. I, there, things happen so quick. And, yeah, yeah. You know, without seeing him until he had that thing out. Um, but then I ran up to help this member who now gets out of his car to wrestle this guy to the ground. And I handcuffed him. And he's full of holes? He, six shots. Oh my gosh. First shot hit him in the hand broke his thumb, and traveled up to his elbow. Oh, my goodness. One round missed, and he got hit in the body three times, and then one, he had the leather holster under this wool sweater. Yeah. We found pristine copper-jacketed bullet laying on the on the roadway. It didn't even penetrate the leather holster. Oh, wow. So he just had three minor abdominal and this one in his hand. But that first shot... Is we figured saved everybody's life. Yeah. The gun was half cocked. He was in the process 
of cocking the gun and being half cocked, <laughs> he couldn't, with his thumb broken, he couldn't pull the, the hammer back any further. And he, when he pulled the trigger, it wouldn't drop the hammer. Right, because it was already halfway there. It was yep. half cocked. Yep. It had to be fully cocked mm-hmm. before the trigger would drop. It would go, yep. Wild situation. Oh my goodness. And, you know, and that's kind of a, if you want to call it a defining moment where you go, can I really do this job? Yeah. And um, you go, yeah. And and I know of guys that have come onto the job and after six months, year, two years, where they go, I can't do this. And you got to admire them for being able to say, I'm, I'm going to move on from this. You know, I agree because you'd rather have somebody say, I'm not cut out for this. This isn't my gig. Because you're really dealing with public security and so many crucial things. There's a lot of things going on. It's not like you're selling cars or you're, I don't know, you know, yeah. pick any other, other, you know, other very, you know, easygoing job. It, it, this is yeah. people's lives depend on it, right? There are those times. Yeah. yeah. Like in that situation, for yeah. example, right? Yeah. And, wow. And uh, there are some guys that, that, I worked with her so phenomenal. Like these guys flat out brave. Uh, some of the most amazing guys, canine officers. Oh yeah. Canine officers, the work they do hmm. and always admired them. Always admired That's them. That's cool. Yeah. So if we switch gears for a second. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about your racing career. Yes. So. Extre- t- extremely unspectacular. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, um, you know, everybody's got their childhood dreams that they, you know, if I have the chance to fulfill this, I would do it. You know, be it jumping out of a plane with a parachute, be it going down the rapids in a in a barrel, you know, whatever you want to do. Right. Um, I had always wanted to try stock car racing, oval, yeah. oval track racing. And the opportunity came up. Um, you know, I'm... I'm almost 10 years on the police department. Mm-hmm. I'm in a, uh, you know, my wage is very good. Mm-hmm. My wife and I are doing great. We have one baby daughter. And I found a old street stock that I got for $1,500. Turnkey <laughs> engine, uh, Buick uh, 350 V8 in it. Yeah. Um, it was an old beat up car, but it had everything you needed mm-hmm. to get started. Yep. And I'm like, well, this is great. I can have a race car team. And, but then you forget about things you got to buy. Like you got to get a, a, an approved helmet. You got to get an approved fire suit. You got to have approved gloves. Uh, you know, well, and then you all go the through, safety equipment. You go through tires nonstop, right? Yep. Exactly. Um, and you need a trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, the, the, uh, Al Baki uh, uh, was uh, one of my big influences. Um, I contacted him and, and he allowed me to use his number and he loaned me a trailer that he had. Really? Which was fantastic. And uh, we went out and, you know, of course, for the first while you run around at the back of the pack. Uh, but it was a thrill. It was fun. Um, you know, and it's, there. there are three kinds of, people that sponsor support racers okay there's people who have businesses and they actually feel 
this is a worthwhile commercial endeavor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This is this advertising works for me. Yeah. And I've always said that stock car racing is the crudest form of subliminal advertising in the world, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. You get 20 cars driving past you at 80 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. And what's written on the side? Yeah, one little blur. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we had some friends that owned some businesses. And we're at, uh, uh, there used to be uh, at McCurchin 8, a restaurant that was called Sawyer's. Okay. And it's now, I believe, Thomas Cook. And that's even gone now, and it's a wine okay. shop, but yes. Okay. So um, my wife had worked there uh, before we got married. Uh, the owner was really generous to us. When we did get married, he loaned us his Ferrari 308 <laughs> as a wedding car. Oh, cool. Yeah, and uh, and let us have it for the weekend. Awesome. Uh, not just the day. And uh, we're sitting around. And, and, you know, we've been friends for like 10, 10 years already. And uh, he, uh, Tracy says, Bradley bought a race car. And he's like, really? <laughs> what are you doing with it? I said, well, I'm just going to go do oval track stock car racing. I'll give you $500, put the name of the restaurant on the side. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> I hadn't even asked. And, and so we hand painted... <laughs> <laughs> on the side of the car. Awesome. And, uh, you know, and it started like that. And then people see you. And and, and yes, if if you have a, a personality that people get along with and stuff, people will come up and go, I want to support you. I think yeah. it's great what you're doing. That's cool. And so all of a sudden, we, we started having some success and uh, just getting some advertisers. Mm-hmm. You know, and we'd have guys coming up to us that'd been out there for, for a while and they're going, you got Valvoline on your car. How'd you get Valvoline? I'm going to talk to this guy, talk to that guy. This guy talked to their rep and da, da, da. And I'm getting free oil for the year. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, and when you're talking at that time, 50 bucks a case for racing oil, mm-hmm. um, that makes quite a bit of difference. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, the police department was very supportive. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and they eventually jumped on in an even bigger way. Uh, there was a program called Racing Against Drugs. Um, started out east and moved west, and we, we were in on the group that brought that out. But, um, like, motorsports for the longest time has been one of the areas where use or abuse of drugs is almost universally condemned like Mm -hmm. you you get caught you're you're done yeah that's right yeah uh there were some guys in drag racing in the 80s and 90s that uh they were boom you're gone forever Mm -hmm. uh there was some racers uh, i believe a guy by the name of jeremy mayfield uh got caught with some stuff boom you're gone um you know they they take it very seriously yeah so that theme about you know, you can't do these more dangerous, risky type of activities on drugs. Mm-hmm. And if you're driving a vehicle, yeah, you don't have any training in driving a vehicle in a special way. You definitely aren't able to drive it when you're impaired. <laughs> no kidding. Right? Yeah. You need to not be mixing and using illegal drugs and you know so it was a it was a good message and and the cars are natural mm-hmm. magnets 
when you take them to a school. Totally. So Boss Blue uh, pulling team. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, trying to remember, I think it was Jim Therian. He has the jet car or had a uh, jet drag car. He was involved. He was part of Team Boss Blue. Um, we were involved. Uh, Charlie Curtin uh, had his cast car. Cool. He was involved. Um, you know, so we had a good little group. Uh, there was an um, out of Regina, I think it was, an RCMP officer that had a, a duster drag mm-hmm. car. Mm-hmm. And the police department now has a uh, car that goes out and competes in the uh, drags. I think they go out and do the, the street legals. I want to say it's a Mustang. Uh, it was a Caprice. I don't know if they've changed. Oh, but, or you're talking about the RCMP one. No, I guess the Saskatoon Police Service. Saskatoon Police one was a Caprice. Was it a Caprice? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because we never had Mustangs. We did have Caprices. And it's a decommissioned police car. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yep. Uh, but anyways, no, the, the racing was great. And after three years, uh, our third year in street stock, um, we had the opportunity uh, through IGA, which is now Sobeys. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a connection here in town and they wanted to get involved. And they said, we know it's going to be either Kellogg's under the cornflakes really? logo, or it's going to be Maxwell House Coffee, uh, General General Mills under the Maxwell House Coffee. And I went, really? Wow. And they're like, yeah. And they said, but we're going to want a lot of promotional stuff. And so it ended up being Maxwell House. And they, it was fantastic. Like we did uniforms. Like my driver's suit was all embroidered. The, the, uh, like up and down the legs and across the chest and the team shirts, um, the hats, the, uh, they gave us cases and cases and i don't know if you would ever remember them but it was a white coffee mug yep and in red it just said max yep i was just at a garage sale a week ago there was two of those there yep they gave us cases of those to give out to people and they also gave us these plush toys and it was in the uh they had this cartoon character coffee pot that i remember would that the mug with max written on it that, you know, basically he's going to be pouring himself into the coffee. I remember that. I remember that cartoon in, in the commercials and TV. Yeah. These things were about three and a half, four feet tall. <laughs> I, my garage at our old place was 18 feet wide and 40 feet long. Uh-huh. This took up a third of our garage. <laughs> it, we had these things stacked up and they wanted us to give two away per race meet and one at every car show that we did. Oh gosh. Like it was like a hundred and twelve of them or something like that. It was ridiculous. That's and we cool. would have people coming up to us. My kid really wants one of those things. Is there any way I can get Here it? Here you go, take it. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd we'd come out at halftime at at the races, at the intermission. Yeah. And we would have something set up that somebody would have to, you know, turn up with whatever piece of trivia or, you know, it was a question that they'd have to wait for it to that day. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a matter of who was the first to rush down. Yeah. And, uh, but that was a fun thing. And that, you know, um, from that, that led to something else. Um, because, you know, and we, we'd picked up, like I said, we had Valvoline, we had Winds Extend products. Cool. Um, we had some great local businesses, uh, 
Sharp Auto Trim and it's uh, like Cheatham's Pharmacy. Big sponsors. That that were really, really good to us. And uh, my even my father-in-law uh, sponsored us and he... Uh, uh, he's a rocket scientist. <laughs> he really is. He worked for NASA. He was he was a consultant for space shuttles. He developed guidance systems. Oh wow! And he actually has two satellites that are circling the world right now. Uh, the ozone layer. He was part of the scientists that discovered the holes in the ozone. Oh wow! So, Holy cow! Um, he's in his 80s now. He's retired, but he's still uh, involved uh, with those types of things. And uh, wow. uh, he he said. We want to put the uh, Odin uh, is one of the satellites. Yep. Uh, the two satellites are Odin and Osiris. And uh, uh, Odin's up there circling around and, uh, and observing the ozone layer to see how, how it's doing. <laughs> and uh, But they have discovered that it can repair itself. So that's one neat thing that came out of it. But anyways, um, from that, the Stock Car Club, the president of the Stock Car Club at that time, Glenn Hoff, uh, came to me and he said, you know, you're, you're having some very good success at getting sponsors. Yeah. And he said, do you think you'd want to try and tackle that for the stock car club? Oh, yeah. And so up to that time, um, any of the, the program advertising, the, uh, event advertising, uh, the billboards at the track, anything like that, it was all kind of friend of a friend. Oh, here, I'll give you a few bucks. Um, they weren't bringing in a lot of money from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and sometimes nobody knew who was in charge of doing the billing. Right. And so things weren't billed out. Money wasn't collected, but they had paid for signs to be made. There's so many things that, you know, just need to be addressed. And so Glenn and I worked out some stuff where I actually said, I believe I can do this as a business and connect it with, my racing so I can use all these resources and a, a, get a few tax benefits down mm -hmm. the road. Mm -hmm. But we were, we were selling big time. Uh, and in the first year we, uh, we sold over a hundred thousand dollars value oh, wow. for the stock car club. Um, you know, some of that's contra, yep. you know, you have to do that. Um, but when the grandstands need to be painted, sometimes the best way is to, you know, have product. Mm -hmm. So, um, but we, we did get it into the business community mind that we do need dollars. And also they had never looked at reserve seating. Um, people had always wanted that because they liked to be in the same place uh -huh. in every race. Yeah, sure. So. That was something we developed. Uh, we also helped develop the executive boxes. Uh, that was in conjunction with Juicy Auto Body. Um, and they were one of my sponsors for quite a while. Uh, they, uh, uh, they had this idea of, we needed a new control tower. Mm -hmm. And then the idea was presented for doing just a control tower. Why don't we do a couple of executive boxes Right. And then we were, we sold those as race events. And, um, what you would have is a menu people could select. It was licensed so they could have oh, alcohol yeah. mm -hmm. and it was a dust free environment. And we had the sound from the track pumped in. 
Oh, cool. So it was fantastic. So this it, is all this is all Bridge City, right? Bridge City. This Which, is before. This is all before it's moved over to you know Wine Group or whatever it's yep. been called. Yep. And so this is the old track. Let's give Auto Clearing some some credit too, yeah, because yeah, Auto course, Clearing yeah. stepped up big time yep. for them to make that move. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it took a long time negotiating to sell the old track property. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that gave them, you know, some seed money to get this going. They, they had a lot of people help them out and it's a beautiful facility. Um, oh yeah. And, you know, but we did amazing things in the nineties and early two thousands at Bridge City. Um, there was a, uh, uh, there's a publication, uh, Circle Track News and they will list all the tracks in Canada and most of the tracks in the States and stuff. And uh, um, one of the guys that, that I would talk to about publishing for that, getting our information at, he said he grabbed one from the States and, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a thing in there that talked about Bridge City Speedway. Really? Yeah. And it's it talked about this little, you know, uh, three-eighths mile oval, uh, two words describe it, sold out. And it was yeah. like, if you showed up too late, um, you weren't getting in all the seats were filled. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing to see. And, uh, it was fun to be a part of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so from 90 until 2000, I raced, um, we, uh, we got into the, the super stocks Mm -hmm. in my fourth year, uh, sold the, the, uh, street sock, had an opportunity to buy this Ford, um, late model and, uh, needed some, needed some TLC. Okay. And so we did that and, uh, again, got great support for it. And there is a certain group of fans. Yep. There's a certain group of sponsors that want to see Ford. Uh huh. And so we focused on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I had been driving GM products. I need a tow vehicle. Well, let's go get a Ford. Yep. You know, if we're going to show the the blue oval, we're going to do it. Okay. And they're going to see us as somebody committed to doing this. Yeah. And um, that led to uh, after a few years, uh, we got a two year deal with Ford of Canada and Jubilee Ford. Wow. Under their quality care. So the one picture you see where the car is all red, white, and blue striping and and uh, really bright colors on it and stuff, that was the first year of the uh, quality care. And that was also the first year of the um, uh, Racing Against Drugs program. If you're wondering where that picture is, go to jthomasauto.ca. They'll be up there as well as on Facebook Instagram, places like that. But you can see what we're talking about right there. Yeah. And so we had, uh, the car was originally a 1981 Thunderbird body. Okay. Yep. And uh, we had raced it for a few years. And when we got that deal, um, and the rules kind of were loosely followed, but they liked you to have a body style that was no more than 10 years old. Mm, mm-hmm. So we said, we're going to upgrade. And we upgraded to an 87 Thunderbird body. Uh, so a little pointier nose, a yep. uh, little sleeker back end, a little bigger trunk lid, a uh, 
and very nice car. Now that that race car you're talking about was a tube chassis with that's a full fiberglass fiberglass top yeah. on it, right? We, we referred to the car's name was Elf Aluminum Lexanid Fiberglass <laughs> is what the, the outside of it was made Elf. of. <laughs> yeah, and uh, um, but uh, at first we were running two eighty nine. Uh, cubic inch engine. If you're running under 300 cubic inches in the late models, yeah, you got a weight break. Oh, yeah, you could be. Uh, I think it was 300 pounds lighter. I could be wrong on that, but I'm trying to remember back that far now. But uh, you got a weight break. Okay, yeah. Um, and we could run mid pack. Mm-hmm. Um, the car needed some help, and we weren't in a quite in a position to. Uh, make the changes we needed at that point. Um, but we, you know, we were, we would stay out of trouble. That was our biggest benefit was Mm -hmm. we could finish races. We weren't out bagging around. We very seldom, uh, had damage on our car. Um, and, and some guys jokingly said it was because of my police training. I, (laughs) I followed guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that I wasn't going to be able to lead <laughs> because I was so used to following guys. So, uh, but we had, uh, we had a lot of fun. I had some great crew members and you, you slowly pick up the pace and you, and you get points and, you know, I've got, you know, rookie of the year championship. I got most improved driver because we went from one year, yeah, to you're, year you're absolute you're... garbage to absolutely doing a great thing, but trophies are over there on the side. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. And, and so, you know, that was a lot of fun, uh, to be able to, uh, improve. Mm-hmm. And, and then, uh, we did make the jump to, because they were going to eliminate the rule for the 300 cubic inch. And it was going to be, you run up to 358 cubic inches and there's no weight break. Ah, uh-huh. okay. What, what you run is what you run, but maximum 358 no, no weight break. Mm-hmm. So we made the investment and, uh, we bought a, uh, uh, from a guy, a racer in Regina, he was selling his car and I wanted the engine out of it. So we actually bought the entire car Oh, and, um, I, uh, I took the engine out of it. It was a very nice 351 Windsor. Cool. And, uh, we and we had to, at that point, we had to change our chassis because the differences between the 289 and the, and the 351 and a great guy used to be JNL frame and alignment, uh, Jerry Horsley, uh, who was a racer as well and phenomenal chassis fabricator. Uh, we went to him and I said, Jerry, this is what we got to do. And he was like, I'm for for it we'll we'll do it and cool. i stood there as he took the the reciprocating saw and and cut off the everything in front of the firewall <laughs> 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 and in very short order uh he had built us a new front clip cool and uh the car responded so well to those changes um the chassis was a lot stiffer the engine power was phenomenal to the point that um, in very short order, a uh, couple of race events, uh, we are challenging for top three. Oh, right on. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it after, you know, guys like Trent Seidel and Jimmy Gaunt, Dave Bone, uh, these guys who have been champions, 
uh, and very good racers, been doing a long time. Uh, it's a lot of fun to be tapping on Trent Seidel's back bumper. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, and, uh, and, and you know, um, on one race, you know, we had one phenomenal race evening and uh, we won two out of four races. Oh, right on. And uh, at the end of the race meet, there were people came down and I had sponsors actually lift me up and carry me around. On no way. Unbelievable. <laughs> right. That's the stuff dreams are made of things you see in movies, right. That you think, yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. But they've, they staged that this actually happened and what a cool moment. And, um, and then the next year, you know how th- the great things can be. Yeah. Yeah, Carmen comes around to bite you in the ass. <laughs> I was going to ask. So if yeah. that if that was such a great moment, how come you're not still yeah. a racer? You know? so, so again, um, because of this the success in that year, uh, we had some great response for getting sponsorship, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, like you know, we're talking five thousand or more dollars from each sponsor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, and they're like here, right? Here's the money. Yeah. Go do it. And we invested, again, we updated our body because I said, we're going to do this. We're going to have the newest possible. We updated to a uh, 1999 uh, Ford Taurus body. Oh, yeah. Which is what they were running in NASCAR at that time. Um, And we had this, we were going to freshen up the engine. And we sent it away. Uh, We had an engine. Manuf- uh, an engine builder in in town that was uh, going to support us, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a big deal. Yeah. When like we've been doing our own engines, and so you kind of take it easy. You don't go whole hog. You you got to make things last. Yeah, that's right. And we always had a spare bullet sitting in the corner, but it was like a a truck engine or something like that. Like it was, <laughs> they weren't motorhome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember one spare engine we had we got it out of the salvage yard and we brought it to the backyard of my house and we took the pressure washer we took them we, we didn't even you know take them the uh plug off the manifold uh, <laughs> or anything. we were just hosing this thing down to get you know five pounds of the grease off to sure. make it weigh a little less yeah and put that in and it shook like crazy but it never blew up but anyways we started uh we started that 2000 season and we go out, you know, we had, had uh, done our break-in on the engine and everything. Yep. And I was just, I was just going to go out and do a couple of easy laps for a qualifying run. I didn't really care if I qualified mid-pack first or last. Yep. It was just to go out and do a little shakedown on the car. And things are feeling pretty good. So I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put my foot down coming out of four. And about start finish line, I just heard. Boom and uh oh, and it was like a bag of gravel, and we coasted around and went into the pits, and there was a big long line of oil oh. behind us, and there was connecting rods oh. with the oil pan. There was a hole in the side of the block. Uh, when we uh, got it home and took it apart, um, we the 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 camshaft was broken. Hole. Oh. Yeah, like it punched a connecting rod up through the the valley uh it wow. destroyed it everything the, the lifters the 
the rocker arms, everything. Just was, obliterated. It was a hand grenade. Yeah. And we're like, what the hell? Yeah. Well, you go through and you clean all, all the parts and you're digging stuff out of a, the oil pan. And we took a connecting rod bolt mm-hmm. that we found and a nut that we found and you could thread them together. Mm-hmm. So the engine shop, they say they, they put it together. Yep. But um, I don't think a connecting rod nut should come off of the bolt uh, no. and you'd be able to uh, thread it back together. No. That being said, the engine shop was great and they, in a big hurry, put together another engine. Yep. So it was going to be a little while. We had to, I had to call crane cams and because <laughs> I couldn't find the camshaft we needed <laughs> on the shelf oh. and they actually inserted it into the uh, uh, lineup to Production. get it done and I told them, you Buy it a seat on the airplane if you have to. <laughs> I need that thing. Yeah. And it took a, a week and a bit. Um, we ran a couple of events with our truck oh, engine. Old engine. And it shook so bad. My vision, you couldn't see going <laughs> into the corners. <laughs> right. But anyways, we, we just had a really bad year. And weather, just bad luck, bad timing, whatever yep. it was, we blew up five engines that season. Whoa. Yeah. And that just killed the team. Like there was, nobody even wanted to go to the track because the guys weren't having any fun. Um, well, every, every, if, if every race you blow an engine, you got to pull at that junker and try to shove it into the car yeah. in the middle of the race. The race is going on. You're just trying to get back into the race. Yeah. And we couldn't do any touring. We didn't dare go on the road to travel to Calgary or Wetaskiwin, no. Alberta or yeah. anything like that because it would just be for naught. And the guys weren't having fun. It, and it just really hurt the team mm-hmm. and and financially mm-hmm. uh it hurt us a bit too yep. that's a lot of extra money for engine parts you know my deal with the engine shop was they supplied labor which is a big deal yeah yeah um and you know it's you do what you can and and we part way through the year we went back to the sponsors that who had really bucked up yeah and give us some good money yeah and we went back to them went here uh, here's half your money back because we can't guarantee that we can even make a show. Ah, And, you know, um, I still have sponsors who tell me if you ever get back into it, call me, I will support you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and we did carry on with the uh, Stock Car Club because we were still selling the advertising, yep. the programs, the event seating, the executive boxes. We carried on doing all that stuff until about 2004 mm-hmm. and, um, you know, uh, helped when they did do the new track, the new guy they were bringing along. I gave them all of the contacts, all of my books to help them mm-hmm. to carry on those relationships. And they've, they've done a fantastic job. They've improved it so much. Uh, what a great facility. Oh yeah. And, and you know, it, uh, I, I have a tough time going there because really? I still want to race. Yeah. <laughs> I still want to race. Well, I always want to race. I love going there. Yeah. And you know what? Even I, even my wife likes it. Yeah. You know what? Like she's, she's gotten into the racing. So we'll buy tickets for stuff, you know, pretty often throughout the summer because it's just good fun to go watch. It's exciting racing and all the classes sort of have something different to offer. There's a different element. 
Absolutely, right? There's there's kind of crash and bash. There's that fun. And there's also the real precision driving and the real um, strategy oh, yeah. behind the top classes in there, you know, the pro stuff. And yeah. it's it's just good fun. And then, of course, at the end of the year, there's the, you know, trailer races and the demolition derby and all that good. Oh, the, in, the, en- the, the enduro. enduro. Yeah. The enduros were crazy. Oh, that's... Because it was essentially a run with your brung. And you know what? So, so... I was a kid when I got to go to Bridge City, yep. and I went with a friend lots when it was in its old, old location. The thing was, there was no walls. Yeah. Right? So the Enduro was hel- absolutely, laugh out loud, piss your pants, hilarious. Oh. As a kid, I thought that was Cars. the funniest thing I'd ever seen. They would fly off, you know, corner one, or just going into corner two, roll, there'd be a big, yep. huge... Rooster of dirt up in the air. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, on the back stretch, they yep, come rolling. They out. come rolling over, jump onto the track. Like it was oh, just yeah. a barrel of monkeys' laughs, you know. Oh, it was crazy. Um, they, and people be betting on stuff, <laughs> and and you know the the kids like with the thunder cars. Yep, guys would paint up their cars with you know various wild colors. And, you know, little girls would go, I want the pink car to win. And, yeah. Oh, God. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, some of them would put cartoon characters on. Them. I remember that. I remember uh, like Kermit the Frog on the top of a roof yeah. going around or, you know, one of all the, that kind of stuff. One of the things we did with uh, with our cars, um, I think spiders are cool. Okay. And um, I had a little spider that was down by my gear shift in the, in the Thunderbird. Uh-huh. And kids would come around, and we had autograph cards that we'd give away, all types of stuff like that. And uh, kids would be looking around, and I'd go, "You see the spider?" And they'd go, "What?" <laughs> In the car, there's a spider. And they'd go searching through the car, and some of them would find it, some wouldn't. <laughs> we took that to the point that when we did the Taurus body, yeah, we actually uh, asked um, Sharp Auto Trim. We want you to cut us some spider web patterns. Uh, cool. And we put them on various corners. Uh, and, you know, on the roof, down on fender well, or, you know, different places. Just little accents here and there. And uh, and we keep telling kids, yeah, that, that spider's still in there. Look at the web. <laughs> and the kids just had a great time. Yeah. And, uh, and, of course, you know, anytime, you know, put kids into the car, uh, they'd love it. And... Uh, you know, it, uh, it was a great time. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. You know what, Brad? We've got so much to talk about. Let's save the rest for next time. And thank you for listening to Bald Tires. You're going to hear about Brad's 1971 442 W30, as well as his 59 Cadillac Series 62 in the next episode. Thanks for listening to this one. Subscribe, like, Follow along, and you can always find pictures of what we're talking about at jthomasauto.ca. This has been Bald Tires. I'm Jay Thomas. 